here for the last few weeks or last few months. I've been in this series where every week I'm going to be talking either about spiritual gifts or spiritual formation or spiritual conflict. And I'll tell you, I've been having a good time this year. I think this has been fun. I love this series. I, I kind of think I found my groove, these three things. It's might be like forever. You're going to hear a series on gifts or conflict or, or formation. So part of this series is to really help us to become not just more like Jesus, but also to do the things that Jesus did. So as I said in my introduction today, I'm going to be talking about the gift of faith. If you look in your notes, you're going to see in 1 Corinthians 12, all um, during the series, we've been in this list of 1 Corinthians 12, these spiritual gifts starts out to say, for one is given the gift of wisdom of the Spirit, to another the knowledge of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. We're going to talk about that today. Then it goes on to say, another the gift of healing, and then the other the gift of miracles. So for the next, for this week and the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about the gift of faith, and the gift of miracles, and gift of healing. And I'll be honest with you, these three topics might be three of the toughest topics as we talk about spiritual gifts, simply because a lot of us come with a lot of, a lot of history with faith or, not, or miracles or, or, or healings. A lot of us come with a, a lot of, um, not even reservation. Maybe come with a lot of caution. I think we've all seen things or heard things, maybe on TV evangelists that were like, yeah, that just looks a little suspicious. I think sometimes when you talk about healing or faith or miracles, people's first reaction is, that might be a scam. I'm not really going to really trust what you're going to say. Or maybe this is, you're just going to try to get a big offering from me. I will tell you my observation of people sometimes when you talk about miracles, they want them. They want healing. But we're really cautious. And I, and I kind of get it. I've, I've observed some of the same things that you've observed. And it does make you cautious. I'll tell you what's kind of interesting for me. My wife has a gift where she prays for people and we see miracles happen. Now her father like really had this gift in a strong way. I remember when we lived in Colorado and even California, people would actually call him up and say, would you pray for me? And they'd fly from different parts of the world and they'd come over to our house or our office and he would pray for them. And, and a lot of times they would be supernaturally healed. And it was a beautiful thing to watch. You know, a person had terrible back pain and one minute, the next second they're healed. And, and I'm watching my wife, kind of the same gifting of her father's kind of resting on her. So it's kind of cool. I was thinking today, it's kind of interest. I should not have gone down this route. You're, I'm, I'm going to bypass. So how do I get out of this? <laughs> I just walked into something that's making me very emotional. So anyway, so it's interesting when Becky will pray for people and people will talk about, okay, let's pray for a miracle or healing. Now I watch some people watch and they're watching head on. Then I watch about half the people in the crowd watching they're watching her like this, kind of out of the corner of their eye. Like they're a little suspicious. And I get that. I think we are because we've seen abuses of this gift. And what we tend to do sometimes is when we see abuses of it, we say, I don't want to be part of that at all. I think these three gifts, we really need to lean in and say, what does the Bible say about faith and about healing and about miracles? And we need to ignore some of our bad experiences or maybe ignore some of the people that we've seen abuse the gift and say, you know, we're going to lean into these gifts because these are beautiful gifts. Right now we need faith. We need miracles and we need healing. Right now the people of Ukraine 
They need faith, and they need miracles, and they need healings. We've seen the pictures. The walls of their hospitals are gone. They need to be able to pray for people and to see healings and miracles, and people need to have an increased gift of faith so we can believe for things in this time. So in order to develop um, our character so we can so we can use these gifts with maturity, we have to remember that Jesus is more our Lord and our Savior, but he's also our model. Because, see, we need to be the generation of people, and we need to be the generation of churches that are going to use the gift of miracles and healing and faith in a way that honors God. We need to be the churches that use these gifts with maturity and wisdom. And God wants to do that for us. And part of it is to develop our character. See, and I think sometimes it's so easy, I've been talking this year about how it's easy to forget that Jesus is not just our Lord and Savior, but he's also our model on how we do ministry. See, Jesus is a complete picture. He's a complete prototype of how we function under the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we need to do more than just spend time with Jesus. We need to be more, do more than just learn about Jesus. We actually need to start to learn and to do the things that Jesus did. Listen to Jesus' very own words that he says to us in John 14. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask anything for my name and I will do it so that the Son can give glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. See, this verse is a description of what our life should be like. Doing the things that Jesus did in even greater works. See, that's why I love this series so much, because it's preparing us to go out and to do the things that Jesus did and to maybe ignore some of the bad stereotypes that we have about faith and miracles. See, years ago when I was in seminary, one of my other seminary professors, Dr. Chuck Kraft, I love this man. He was an amazing professor and still is. And he had this illustration that he used about a three-legged stool. And he would say that three-legged stool is kind of a picture of where the, many of the churches are today. He would say to us, he said, look at that three-legged stool. What would happen if you're sitting on it and you took one of the legs away? Well, you'd fall over and you'd be sitting on the ground. And he went on to say that's what's happening to a lot of our churches. They're falling over, they're just on the ground. So let me explain, what are these three legs of the stool? Well, he said the number one of the leg is that's our allegiance to Jesus. That's what's happened when we get saved, when we surrender our life to Jesus. Jesus becomes our foundation. That's one leg of our Christian faith. The other leg of our Christian faith is, is, our, is the truth, which means our knowledge of studying God is as we study God more and we learn to walk with Jesus, we replace some of the deception in our life with the truth. So we have one leg of the stool is our allegiance to God, the other leg of the stool is the truth, and the third leg of the stool is spiritual power. And for a lot of people in a lot of churches, we ignore that leg of the stool. We ignore that God has come and says, I give you all my authority. And without that leg of the stool, many of us have fallen over. We need spiritual power. This isn't something that we can ignore or say this is optional. We need it because, number one, every single one of us is a fallen human being. And if we don't have the power of Jesus working in our life, that means we have the power of ourself working. Remember back in the Gospels when Jesus looked at Peter, one of his disciples, and he said to him, get behind me, Satan. Here's 
Peter was, a man devoted to Jesus, and he became so messed up that Jesus had to look at him and say, get behind me, Satan. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? Here they are, Christians, followers of Jesus, dedicated to Jesus. And what does Paul say to them? He says, why did you let Satan fill your heart? See, as believers, we have to be careful. That's why we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to extinguish any work of the enemy in our life. And another reason why we need spiritual power is so we can do the things that Jesus did. God is calling us as a church to get off the ground and to stand up and rely and trust in the power that God has given to us. Some of you remember in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So often when we read this verse, we think, well, it's just talking about evangelism. No, this verse is talking about every single spiritual gift that God has for us. It's talking about going with the full counsel of God, going with the full counsel of the Holy Spirit, going with the full counsel of the spiritual gifts as we are messengers that God sends to us to other people. See, part of this series is to understand these gifts is maybe you have one of these gifts. Maybe God has given in you the gift of faith or the gift of miracles or for the gift of healing. And maybe some of you don't know it because some of the circumstances in your life, you wonder and it's my prayer that during the service and the other services that maybe God would be encouraging you and saying, you have this gift. Or this is a gift in you that I am going to develop in you. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, you will receive some spiritual gifts. I'm not exactly sure which ones that you have, but during the series, the Lord will prompt you and start showing you what gift you have. And that is my prayer today. And that's why I think God's called this here because His Holy Spirit is speaking to you about these gifts. Not everybody has the gift of faith, but I think most of you, if not all of you, are very good candidates to have the gift of faith. And it won't surprise me if everybody listening to me has the gift of faith to one degree or the other. And God may even be stirring you up to understand what the gift of faith is so you can allow that gift to grow in your life. I think you're all really good candidates. And it won't surprise me if all of you had the gift of faith. So I got to go back to the book of Esther. We've been in Esther the last couple of weeks, and I love that book. In the book of Esther, we look at four main characters. Every time you talk about the book of Esther, you go back to the king. The king gets a lot of attention because he's the drunken idiot in the story, but obviously has a lot of power. He's a king. And then there's a queen, there's Esther. We love Esther. Esther gets a lot of, uh, we notice Esther because she had an extremely brave woman to stand up against the king and risk her life. And then there's Haman, the evil villain that we all want to see. Well, we're all happy when his demise happens. And then there's Mordecai. He represents the kingsman redeemer. He's the one who has the word of knowledge in the story and the word of wisdom, and he weaves everything together. But there's 12 other characters in that story that most of us overlook. We often talk about, we want to be like Esther, we want to be like Mordecai, and that's really good. However, there's 12 other characters in that story that are listed by name, and most people never notice them in the story. Those 12 characters are the 12 eunuchs in the story. And each of those eunuchs has a name. That's interesting. 
Because when the Bible gives somebody a name, it's drawing your attention to that person has an identity and that they have a purpose. And there's a reason for them to be in the story. But to be honest with you, most of the eunuchs, they get ignored and they get overlooked. Why? Because there's something really different about them. There's something a little bit weaker about them. Sometimes when you look at the eunuchs, it's easy to say, well, they're probably not going to be that important. Look, they're a little bit different. It's easy to do that to people. We discount them because of their appearance. We discount people quickly because we think, eh, they're probably a little bit weaker. We often lose hope for people that don't seem to be very typical. And see, in our Western culture, that's easy to do because in our Western culture, we typically evaluate people and we judge people based on outer experience. We judge people in situations based on what we can see instead of discerning things by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when you discern things by what you can see, it is so easy to ignore the redemptive work that God does in people's life. And those eunuchs are a picture of ignoring what God has done into somebody's life. See, I think the eunuchs in the story are a picture of what many of us feel like at times. Feel a little bit weaker. We feel a little bit insignificant. We feel like something that has happened to you in our background has damaged us so much we don't feel like we're very valuable today. These 12 eunuchs have a powerful place in the story. Two of them wanted to kill the king, so not all of them we want to model after. But the 10 that are left are very intriguing people to watch in the story because I think they're a lot like us. And a lot of us feel like a eunuch many times. Let me describe to you what is a eunuch. Here's from one source says, In the ancient world, a eunuch was a non-procreative male, usually castrated and often castrated before puberty. Now, this would often happen to women as well. That means they typically did not experience puberty with a rush of testosterone, bringing about the lowering of the voice, the development of body hair, facial hair, muscle, and over time, a prominent brow. They looked and sounded different from other men and women around them. They would have stood out in Persia. In some places of the ancient world, others considered them, and perhaps they considered themselves another sex or a third gender. In the olden times, there were men, women, and eunuchs. Not a simple binary. In scriptures, eunuchs pop up throughout the Hebrew Bible and make brief but important experiences in the Christian Bibles. See, the eunuchs may have been very different in the story, but in the book of Esther, they're mentioned by name, which is important. But the thing is about the eunuchs in the story, without the eunuchs, Esther never would have been able to do what she did. The eunuchs are key messengers in the story. If the eunuchs were not in this story, Mordecai and Esther would have never communicated, and the demise would have happened to the Jews. The real hero of the story is Hatak. He's the messenger that went between Esther and Mordecai. Another source says, eunuchs serve as messengers, advisors, guards, assassins, and soldiers. In fact, on the chessboard of the Persian court, all the non-eunuchs are stuck in place. The king was stuck in the palace. The queen was stuck in her section of the palace, and she could not go back and forth between the king. 
Haman was stuck in his part of the palace. He could not go back and forth between the king and the queen. Mordecai was stuck outside of the palace, and he could not go in and out of the palace. But who could move all over the palace, go inside and outside whenever they wanted? It was the eunuchs. God strategically placed the eunuchs in that castle. They could go in and out freely whenever they wanted to. Yes, Esther did save the Jewish people by pleading her case. But without the eunuchs, she never would have been able to do what she did. See, I believe Hatak, one of the, the one eunuch in the story, I believe he is a picture of what it is like to have the gift of faith. Now remember, the gift of faith wasn't acknowledged in the Old Testament, but we see he is a picture of a person with a gift of faith. Look at what that man did. He risked his life to get messages between Esther and Mordecai. If Haman would have found out what Hatak was doing, he would have killed him in an instant. Why? Because Hatak was against the plans that Haman had set in motion. You look at a person like this eunuch and you say, why would you do that? Why would you risk your life to be a messenger? Because I believe he had the gift of faith. He was able to look at things in the natural and say, I'm going to ignore that because I'm believing something in the supernatural that's informing me of what's going on here. Haytack was not relying on his own information to make his choices. He was relying on discernment that he was getting from God that gave him the hope and the confidence and the faith to say, I will exchange these messages between these two because I know I will be protected. But see, if Haytack was operating according to how we do in our American culture, we judge things by appearance, he never would have had the boldness to do it. But this man was getting information from another source that allowed him to have the bravery and the confidence to go between Esther and Mordecai to deliver the messages. That's why he was willing to risk his life. Because he had the gift of faith. That's an amazing story. See, so what is a gift of faith? Well, we'll go back to my father-in-law. He says, a gift of faith is a special ability that God gives to some members of the body of Christ to discern with extraordinary confidence the will and purpose of God for the future of his work. Now, that's a good definition. This book was written in 1979. Becky's dad was such a pioneer. He was such a head of so many evangelicals at the time. were like, no, spiritual gifts, we don't believe in them. And he's coming out with this book. And this is one of my favorite definitions of this book. Number one, was it say? Some members of the body of Christ. Not every single person is going to have the gift of faith, but like I said, I think you're all really good candidates. And it won't surprise me if all of you had a supernatural gift of faith. Also, the number, the number two about this definition is the gift of faith is the ability to discern the will and purposes of God. That's how you get faith. You're discerning what God is saying. It's not faith isn't just, hey, I want a new car, so I got faith to believe it. No, you're discerning what God is saying to you. That's how we come up with a gift of faith. It's not just, oh, I really would like that, so I'll say I have faith for it. No, you are hearing God, 
And when you hear God, you know that you know that you know that you know, and you're going to hold on to it, and you're going to risk everything just like Haytack did. I know that I know that I know that God's behind this, so I'm going to hold on to it, and I'm not going to let go. That's what the gift of faith is all about. I love how John Thompson says, said faith could be translated as informed consent or informed trust. Faith is informed trust. God is telling you something. See, one of the things is like, how do I get the gift of faith? Well, I, I, maybe I have it, but I don't notice it. Sometimes in order to develop your gift of faith, you have to develop hearing from God. See, the gift of faith has not been used very well in the body of Christ at times because so many people have taught that God doesn't speak to people today. If God doesn't speak to you, how would you hear God to have a gift of faith? You can't. God speaks so we can hear and then we have faith. And that's my prayer for all of you that God is just increases our ability to hear his voice. So we know that we know what we heard from him so we can hold on to it and develop our gift of faith. Now we need to stop for a moment and clarify something. If the Bible, all through the Bible, it talks about as followers of Jesus, we have faith. So what's the difference between faith and the gift of faith? Or what's the difference between the spiritual gift of faith and just regular old faith? It does get a little tricky to understand. If you are here last week, I talked about the gift of the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. These are two great gifts, but the only place the Bible mentions them is 1 Corinthians 12, and you're like, I need some more information. It's the same thing with the gift of faith. It is only mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, so you're not exactly sure how it relates to the other faiths. I think God did that strategically, but I think there are some answers. When you look in other parts of the Bible, you try to figure out what's the difference. So I think a lot of people say the best way to look at it is there's three different faiths. The first faith is conversion faith. That has happened when you got saved. In, first Corinthians, or in Ephesians 2.9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. God gives every follower some faith. By his grace, he gives us faith. Why? So we can believe in Jesus. So we can turn our hearts so we believe in Jesus, we can trust in him. That's like the first leg of the stool. That's when we pledge our allegiance to God, we surrender to God. That's the first leg of our stool, that conversion faith. Then the second faith that they often refer to is continuing faith. That's what I referred to in the, in the, in the stool as trust. That's when we grow in our life. That's where we talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 22, of one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is faithfulness, that God develops in us faith to believe things that we couldn't believe without his assistance. Then the third one is the gift of faith. That's the special ability that we've been talking about. That's when God gives you ability to believe in something that you could never believe in by your own eyesight. That's a gift of faith. I like how Sam Storm says, he said, the gift of faith is that mysterious surge of confidence which rises within a person in a particular situation of need or challenge and gives an extraordinary certainty and assurance that God is about to act through a word or an action. That's the gift of faith. It's that surge of confidence that God gives you, that you can believe things that logically you say, this doesn't make sense. But see, when you talk about the gift of faith, it's easy to get very cautious. 
See, a lot of times you look at the gift of faith and you get a little nervous. Why? Because nobody wants to be wrong. Nobody wants to say, I have the gift of faith. I'm believing for something bold. And then you're wrong. It's a bummer, as Lori said. Some of you know, it wasn't long ago I preached and I told you about how Becky and I had full faith and confidence that by the time our oldest son was six, he'd be miraculously healed. We believed without a doubt that God was going to heal him. We set our clock in our calendar that on his sixth birthday, he'd be healed. It didn't happen. It was not a fun birthday. We were discouraged. We thought we had the gift of healing or the gift of faith to believe for his healing. We sold the farm on that one, so to say. Every prayer we believed with full assurance and confidence. He wasn't healed. In some ways, he's a little bit more challenged today than he was at six. Some people laughed at us. That we believed and it didn't happen. But to be honest with you, I'm glad we did that. I'm glad. I'm glad we took the risk and believed for a miracle. I'm glad. I'm glad we spent those countless hours praying. I don't care that we were wrong because God is faithful even when you miss it. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. We were seeking God earnestly. We were wrong. But we're seeking God, and he rewards you for that. God's pleased we did that. God's pleased with you when you believed in something that didn't happen because it took faith to believe in him, and that's a way to please God. Probably every single person with a gift of teaching has taught one time, and their lesson plan wasn't very good. Nobody calls them a false teacher. Nobody tells them they can't teach again. I'm sure every single pastor, including me, who has the gift of being a pastor, is a gift of preaching, has preached a bad sermon. Or someone could say your exegetical work was poor, your illustration didn't make sense, and your whole message was a flop. Nobody would call that person a heretic. Nobody would fire that person after they did that. They would say, try again. Some of you just need to try again. Some of you need to try again. Maybe you missed it. Maybe you missed it big like Beck and I. That wasn't a mistake. That was tuition. That's what we paid to learn more and draw closer to God. We need the gift of faith. We need the gift of miracles. We need the gift of healing. And the only way we're going to see it develop with maturity in this body if we all take some risk. I'm going to read, I'm going to close with this, this story about George Mueller. It's in the book, Delighted in God. 
It says in here, almost every book that discusses the gift of faith refers to the life and ministry of George Mueller, who by faith operated an orphanage in Bristol, England. He cared for 10,000 orphans over a period of 60 years, receiving 5 million in the process. This is in the 1800s. 5 million is a lot of money. He began his work with only two shillings in his pocket. Without once making known any needs, he received enough to build five large homes able to house 2,000 orphans and to feed the children day by day, all by faith and prayer. Never did they go out without a meal. Often the pantry was bare when the children sat down to eat, but always help arrived at the nick of time. Always help arrived at the nick of time. Can you imagine raising $5 million in the 1800s without ever asking for a penny? That's the faithfulness of God. That's what happens with a gift of faith. God says earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, but I think we could add comma faith. I think we'd all like to have that. I think I'd really like to have Porta have that gift. I think she has it, but I'd even like to see her have it even more. I'd love to see Porta feeding, raising, well, $5 million in the 1800s. That has to be $30 million today. We'd love to see Porta feeding, caring for tens of thousands of orphans, building homes for orphans. Would love to see Porter be able to do what she does without having to ask for money. It just keeps pouring in. That's what we're praying for. Love to see that, the gift of faith and the gift of miracles and healing. See, we need those gifts. All of you need those gifts. You know people that you need to encourage. We all love to be around that person with faith. They light up a room. They're always happy and fun and optimistic. They don't take the word no. They believe for things that everybody else looks at and say, what are you talking about? We need that. Some of you prayed. People are discouraged right now. People are hopeless. What's the opposite? When you have faith in the one who can take care of your needs. I love the fact that we're in the book of Esther and we're studying the book of, or the feast of Purim. We're celebrating that over 2,000 years ago, the Israelites said, you know what? We got rescued from the plan to annihilate us. That plan that was set in motion to kill all the Jews, it was thwarted because Hatak was willing to bring messages between the king and, and Mordecai, between Esther and Mordecai. We celebrate that day. We celebrate what God did back then. Purim is this festival where we, that we remember that God is always working behind the scenes. We celebrate that God always has a plan to lead us to victory. We celebrate that God will always take care of us. And we all, how we celebrate is we tell other people how God has rescued us. Purim isn't just celebrating the survival of the Jewish people despite the enemy. It's a holiday to celebrate that God is always involved in every detail of our life. 
That's what we are celebrating as we go into Purim this week, which would start Wednesday night and go through Thursday. We're celebrating that God is involved in every single detail of our life. Supplying all of our needs, giving us faith and hope and confidence, aware of the enemy's plans in our life, and has a way to diffuse them by the most unexpected people. The most unexpected people can change your life. We often look for the king or the queen or the kingsman redeemer, but it's often the most unexpected people that appear weak or appear powerless that can make the biggest difference in your life. Because it doesn't matter the position it comes down to the power that the person's carrying with them. It comes to the power that a person's carrying with them. That's what we celebrate. That's why we celebrate these Jewish holidays. It reminds us that the power of God works through so many mysterious ways. As we go into this week, we remember and we celebrate that God has a plan of rescue. But this is also a week to remind us we need to forgive people that have harmed us or hurt us, that people have spoke against us. A lot of us carry offenses or judgments or bitterness about other people. Purim is a time that we let those go as well because we always remember that our victory had nothing to do with what other people said to us. Our victory had to do with God's goodness. So we celebrate God's goodness and we let our judgments go. We let our bitterness go against other people. That's what I want us to be doing as a church and a community this week. Celebrating, as one, as one old rabbi said, this week we're under obligation to tell people our stories of survival. And we let go of anything that holds us back. This is a week to let go of things so we can walk in freedom. That's my prayer for each one of us, that God would increase our faith and help us to let go of any judgments or bitterness that we have. So, Father, I do thank you for today. I thank you for bringing us here today. I thank you for speaking to us today. And, Lord, I pray, Lord, for any person that's listening to me, Lord, that has the gift of faith, that you would supernaturally empower them to believe what they could not believe before. God, we know that the gift of faith is linked with the gift of discernment. I'm asking, Lord, that you would move over each of us with your Holy Spirit so we can hear your voice clear. God, I'm praying that we would experience this mysterious surge of confidence which arises when the person hears your voice. God, may you work in each one of us, Lord, to hear your voice in a better way today. God, I bless you for what you're doing here. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is moving. And I pray, Lord, you continue to speak to each of us this week. That whatever gift that we have, Lord, you would ignite it with passion and with your fire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.